1: Uh, Alex, Uh-oh. to be you know really entertaining because Al, uh, <laughs> you know because uh, you know Alan's got to do all this extra work. Right. Exactly. All right. Do you know
2: how to sing, Anthony? Can we do some uh, acapella here?
1: There is nothing <laughs> I do worse. Nothing I do worse, including like ride a unicycle than than singing.
2: Now, just a few months ago, President Trump called California a disgrace
1: to our country. A disgrace? Just think about that. The President of the United States, the United States, called the biggest state in the union with the most
2: diversity and one of the strongest economies, a disgrace. So,
3: I just want to make sure that uh, voters understand Uh, that we have a diverse field and they should be able to to see that and to have a debate uh, stage criteria set up in a way that benefits billionaires more than the diversity and strength of a lot of the other candidates is just unfortunate. You just heard new presidential candidate
1: Michael Bloomberg.
3: You just heard
1: presidential candidate Cory Booker. Booker was talking on WCBS about that upcoming California Democratic debate where we are going to head and we are going to talk about the West Coast in this episode because those states could be pivotal. You know, Iowa gets a lot of attention, deservedly so. New Hampshire, of course. But it is those Western states. you got your California, Nevada, certainly, and those Super Tuesday states. That's the big delegate hall coming up this spring. We're going to go out there to Las Vegas. You heard my colleague Alex Tin getting ready. He's going to give us the download. He's our political reporter out there. You know, in our latest polling across the Super Tuesday states, you've got the top tier. You've got Joe Biden and then Elizabeth Warren. You've got Bernie Sanders all doing well. Then Pete Buttigieg. But then Bloomberg starting to show on the radar. He's in fifth place, 4%, does a little better with voters who think that the Democratic Party is going in too liberal of a direction. Maybe the hurdle for him so far, of course, is that that is not most Democrats. We will talk about that and get to all of it. Thank you for listening. This is Where Did You Get This Not? Talking again with Alex Tin, CBS News campaign reporter out there in Las Vegas. You know, Alex, you and I, we keep making the case that Nevada should get more attention. You obviously have a bias in that since you're out there. You've got all all this stuff. (laughs) No
2: argument from me here, yeah.
1: But, but, look, it, it's it's representative of a big part of the Democratic electorate at a time when that concept has come under some criticism, right? The next debate, uh, there won't be African American candidates there on the stage. The early states, we've said this a number of times. The early states, Iowa, New Hampshire, don't reflect. Um, a large, obviously, uh, Hispanic or African-American part of the Democratic base. So tell me, what's going on out there and how are folks there reacting to, to that argument?
2: Well, yeah, I, I think obviously people here have a bit of a bias when they say that Nevada definitely is a prime candidate to go first. I mean the the ad markets are cheap here. The living rooms are open and people are more than willing to talk to candidates in their living rooms, in their backyards and in their front yards because – Here's another side benefit. It's warm for most of the year here in Las Vegas. It's not going to snow probably maybe once the whole year, if that. So I think there is a, definitely an argument for why Nevada could be a prime candidate to go first.
1: Wait, wait. you buried the lead there, Alex. The over-under on snow in Vegas is, is one?
2: <laughs> uh, let, let's just say people celebrate when it actually snows here in Las Vegas every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they celebrate even more when the snow decides to stick as opposed to melting the second it hits the ground.
1: Uh, all right, man. So so look, you know, Cory Booker, I know you've you've covered some of the uh, endorsements or end endorsement. He just got out there. He was one of the critics of the way the the debate was unfolding. I, is he campaigning a lot out there? Is he try, is he trying to make something out of out of that in Nevada?
2: Well, he campaigned a lot here in the beginning especially, and, you know, Cory Booker has a mom who lives here, Carolyn Booker, so she is often a surrogate that would show up at party events as well. But while Cory Booker maybe isn't registering great in the Nevada polls, there are a lot of people who like Cory Booker, and there are a lot of people who want to see him do well, and he's racked up a couple of endorsements here in the state. A few weeks ago, he picked up the endorsement of the Clark County Black Caucus with Bernie Sanders as their second realignment pick, as they say. So to say that he's not doing well in here would be to miss some of the ways in which his campaign has really done the work to try to gather support, to gather endorsements and to show up at you know Labor Day cookouts all the way down to party events.
1: So let's put this in context for folks. One of the reasons that Iowa ended up going first, is that candidates specifically, it was really Jimmy Carter back in the 70s, took advantage of the fact that they took a really long time to to select their delegates for the national convention. And he and then subsequently other candidates thought, well, hey, if I start hanging around and going to those local caucus mm. sites, I can get media attention for it. And lo and behold, everybody still rushes and goes to pay attention to Iowa and you know, go is for the media attention. They're not there for the delegates because there aren't that many. Well, Nevada, though, has a different process, doesn't it?
2: So it's interesting because Nevada has basically two processes. There is an early vote process that's going to happen on February 15th is when that starts, where, yes, uh, voters are able to show up. They are going to be presented with basically a preference card where they can rank between three preferences and five preferences of who they want to be the nominee. Those early vote preferences, as they're called, are taken and then tabulated on caucus day on February 22nd, essentially combined with the people who show up and do a traditional caucus. Wait a second, you know, wait let
1: Let's sure, talk about this, this ranking. So they're going to rank people one, two, and three?
2: Exactly. Well, from three, to up to five preferences. Now, The party is careful to say that, yes, if you go in and you truly only want to support one candidate, you can go, let's say, Joe Biden, number one, no preference, no preference on number two and number three. But the criticism they had after 2016, like Iowa did and every other caucus in this country, was that that process wasn't considered accessible. You know, it wasn't considered something that people can go to, especially when you are, say a shift worker on the Las Vegas Strip or working in the mines up in northern Nevada that you can't necessarily take off, you know, multiple hours out of a day just to go stand and caucus for the candidate you prefer.
1: So are there candidates out there saying, make me your number two choice? Maybe you don't really love me enough to make me number one, but I'll take number two in the hopes of getting enough of those second place votes to then finally make the, you know, make the top tier?
2: Sure. Well, you know, I have yet to hear anyone explicitly make that pitch, you know, candidates or organizers, but that sentiment is definitely out there. You know, you'll hear organizers when they're knocking on doors, having told people, just keep this person on your shortlist. Just be considering this person with the hope that, you know, come caucus day, maybe your number one candidate doesn't clear the so-called viability threshold. And your vote will automatically be realigned to that second pick.
1: I was going to say, let's explain that to folks before we go any further. The viability threshold means on that first run, if somebody doesn't get 15 percent, then they're not considered, quote, viable and their supporters or their supporters votes will go to some other candidate.
2: Exactly and you know there was a a little bit of drama. I don't want to overstate how dramatic it was, but there was a little bit of drama when they were hashing out the details of this realignment process a couple months ago because there was this question of, oh you know let's say you go to a caucus polling location, you know uh, you and I are I'm voting for President Anthony Salvanto, you're voting for President Alex 10, right? Both of our votes, maybe there aren't enough other people who agree with us and are able to clear that so-called viability threshold. So we're able to, and this is what the process is called. I'm sorry to get a little in the weeds here. During realignment, we can go to a second choice pick. So let's say that uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Joe Biden all cleared that 15% during the first set of votes that were cast. You and I have the option to join one of those groups and give them more people in the room that support them. But the change that they clarified, which caused just a little bit of controversy here in the state, was that you and I can also get together, our first choices weren't viable, and potentially coalesce into a second choice candidate that is now newly viable, instead of our options only being Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, and Elizabeth Warren having cleared that first realignment threshold.
1: And that's the uh, strategy of it all. Well, yeah. And then I end up as vice president in the TIN administration, and I'll be honored. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about where Kamala Harris supporters may have gone after she's dropped out of the race, and Michael Bloomberg, what kind of an impact he's having, particularly out west.
3: We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings.
1: We're going to take a break here for a second to do our tales from the trail. Now, in this segment, we ask our campaign and bids, our political reporters who are out there with the candidates to send in just something they found fun, something quirky, something important. And Kara Corti out there in Iowa has something that I think, shall I say, will be a hit.
0: Hello Anthony and the where did you get this number family. I speak to you today from Rancho Mirage, California, but just two days ago I was in Burlington, Iowa. That's not to be confused with Burlington, Vermont which happens to be the hometown of the senator I cover, Senator Bernie Sanders. Both are home to minor league baseball teams, and Sanders was there Sunday morning meeting with players and staff of local area teams all around Iowa to tell Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred that he was, quote, outraged at the proposed idea MLB has presented to eliminate approximately a quarter of this country's minor league teams mlb says that some of these teams have low attendance they're not making money and they want to get rid of them it's a bastion for the community according to sanders who in the 80s when he was mayor of burlington vermont brought the burlington bees their minor league team to to the city he says it did wonders for the town and do not forget why this is personal to Bernie Sanders as well. In 1957, when he was just 16 years old, living in Brooklyn, he saw the Dodgers infamously leave Brooklyn, relocate to Los Angeles. And Sanders actually writes in his book that that was one of his first lessons in corporate greed and the pitfalls of capitalism. So something a little different from Sanders. He took batting practice at this meeting. So I just had to let you know, Anthony, that this is what's happening on the Bernie beat. Take care.
1: Thank you for that, as always, Kara. And now back to our conversation with Alex Tin out there in Las Vegas. When you look at the way the folks are breaking down out there, we've seen Kamala Harris drop out. We know and the last time you and I talked, she was obviously from the West Coast, Close to a lot of the issues out there. You had talked about agricultural issues, things in the Central Valley of California, which had echoes also in Nevada. So I'm curious what might have happened to any of her support out there, who her voters have gone to and who her fundraisers might have fund or uh, donors may have gone to. Sure. Sure.
2: Well, you know, I'm not the polling expert, Anthony, you are, but it's my understanding that just from talking to people who are working on the more political side of a lot of these campaigns, uh, they are not too concerned about how Kamala Harris's current base of support, if you will, those voters that were supporting her are breaking only because, number one, it at the end was not that big of a share of the vote. And number two, they are essentially distributing themselves among a number of candidates. You know, they're not all really appearing to coalesce around one single candidate. But the the bigger question I think here that I hear from campaigns both in California and in Nevada is the concern, like you said, about the donors and about the endorsements, you know. Kamala Harris in California, just for example, had a huge endorsement from the United Farm Workers, which is a major labor union that represents the agricultural workers of mostly California's Central Valley. And those people, uh, that union endorsed her very early on and was seen as a loss for some of the other candidates who are really trying to court not only the labor vote, but specifically in California, that working class Latino vote that is so coveted.
1: So, as we talk about money, some folks have noticed that Michael Bloomberg, now entering the race, he's trying to play in the Super Tuesday states, which, of course, Nevada is not one. But he is buying a lot of airtime. It's right across the border, though. (laughs) Yeah, he's buying airtime in California. (laughs) So, folks are going to be seeing those ads. Any impact or effect?
2: Well, it's hard, really, to measure this because, I mean, obviously, number one, California is a massive state. And and there, there really is no way to truly get a grasp of that until you look at the sheer number of delegates that they give up to the convention. I think it's almost 500 delegates. And what that really means is that California, in some ways, is not just a big race. It's Dozens and dozens of small races. You know, it's it's a race in L.A. It's a race in the Central Valley. It's a race in the Bay Area. It's a race up in Sacramento. And all of these places are places that few campaigns, aside from maybe the Bernie Sanders or Warren campaigns, have hired a sheer number of organizers to try to work in these places. And so a great way to kind of make up that ground and get your name out there is obviously advertising. You know, I was, I was talking on background a couple of weeks ago to a staffer working for a campaign in California who was griping to me that, you know, when she turns on the TV, all she sees are Michael Bloomberg ads. She sees them when she was watching Face the Nation. She watched them, an ad right before, and it felt like every commercial break after that on Sunday. So... Are people seeing the ads? I think the answer is yes. But whether that's really going to move the needle in California, I think, is still to be determined.
1: Mm -hmm. And as you somewhat referenced, when you start handing out delegates the way the Democrats do... It's in regions. So you mentioned the race in the Bay Area. You mentioned the race in Southern California. There are going to be regions, congressional districts specifically, that might be more moderate if you're the kind of voter, at least that right now, Michael Bloomberg seems to to have more appeal with, that they're going to be more moderate. And then there are going to be delegates in districts that are far more progressive. So you could imagine a map in which he can go in and cherry pick a few places you know, Central Valley, Southern California, etc. That
2: That's but- true. And, and I would also caution just to say not to turn this too much into some uh, conversation about the lanes, as they're called. But uh, when I talk to voters, anecdotally, at least, both in Nevada and California, there are some people who paint themselves as a moderate or a progressive. But more often than not, I hear from voters, you know, everywhere from Elko all the way down to Las Vegas. Elko is a city in northern Nevada. Uh, you hear voters tell you that I, I don't see myself as fitting neatly into the moderate or the progressive box, you know, as to tell people that often when you ask people about health care, they will say that that's maybe their number one or number two issue. That's nobody. That's a surprise to nobody. But when you ask them what that means, you know, how is it that if their health care is their number one issue, maybe their number one supporter their number one pick supports Medicare for All, a single-payer system, and their number two pick supports public option, not a single-payer system. How that can be reconciled. They will tell you that, yes, healthcare is my big concern, but not because I care about the Medicare for All versus uh, public option discussion, but because my rural hospital is about to close, or but because there aren't enough mental health professionals in my area. And it is those issues that I think really color the healthcare discussion and help us understand you know, there are these voters who maybe just do not care quite as much about what we see as the big debates on moderate and progressive
1: ideas. I'm glad you raised that and, and called me on it to a certain extent. We throw around these labels, there's really no reason for people, you know, other than the most hardcore political junkie. To think of themselves the way folks and pollsters in Washington start to put them into buckets, and that's a you know that's a great example. That's a great example of one, especially then for voters who look at candidate characteristics that don't neatly fit into an ideology, right? I want somebody who's inspiring. We know voters exactly. tell us they want somebody inspiring. Well, that's not an ideology, right? That's <laughs> that's who you find that's who you find inspiring. Right. So there's that component to politics too.
2: Yeah, you know, I was up in Elko for a Bernie Sanders event last week, and I, I don't know if you remember, but last week, uh, John Kerry had just endorsed Joe Biden. And I saw somebody that same day in the audience wearing a John Kerry fleece back from when he was running for president not too long ago. And I asked him, well, what do you think about John Kerry endorsing a candidate different than the candidate you support? And he very much made that same case to me. It's not really as much about the so-called progressive or moderate ideology. It's who he thinks can do the best job on the debate stage and potentially defeat President Trump.
1: Outstanding. All right. You and I will talk again. I enjoy it immensely. Thanks, okay. buddy. Appreciate Thank
2: it. you, Anthony. Good talking to you.
1: We're going to wrap it there. We will be back talk more about West. We'll be back, talk more about Iowa and the year in polling in upcoming episodes, as well as the youth vote. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, as always, let me thank everybody here at CBS News Radio for helping to make this possible. In particular, my great producer, Alan Pang the wonderful help of Mae Burke on this and so many episodes. And of course, most of all, you for downloading, for listening. Give us a rating if you like if you like what you've heard and send us your questions. We are at where'd you get this number on Instagram and Twitter. Ask us about the polls. Ask us about our upcoming polls. We will take your questions on episodes in the near future. In the meantime, I'm Anthony Salvanto. I'll talk to you next week.